1: a room upgrade don't wait to make smart financial decisions compare and find smarter credit cards savings accounts and more today at nerdwallet.com reminder credit is subject to lender approval and terms apply NerdWallet, finance smarter
0: if your business needs a new application
1: then developers will have to write code a lot of code if an application needs to be modernized then you'll need time resources, and caffeine. If that sounds daunting, then you need Watson X Code Assistant. AI designed to multiply
0: developer productivity so you can generate code quickly. Let's create a more modern foundation for business with Watson X Code Assistant. Learn more at ibm.com slash code
1: assistant. IBM,
2: let's create. It's not lost on me that I am a descendant of people that survived the Middle Passage. It's like this shit that I go through or deal with or that people throw at me, it ain't as bad as that. It's not as bad as slavery. (laughs) It's not as bad as Jim Crow. Not as bad as the civil rights movement. So that's where I come from. That's the bloodline that I'm from. How can I not? walk tall like i i have to
0: that was lena waith i'm sam fracoso and this is talk easy welcome to the show everyone. Welcome to the podcast. I am San Frigoso. This is Talk Easy and uh, we're continuing our ongoing series of uh, throwback episodes. From now until August 25th, we will be uh, redistributing some of my favorite conversations uh, that we've had on this podcast over the past three years. Some of you have maybe heard these before. Uh, some of you have probably not. Uh, last week we did author, podcaster, uh, big thinker Malcolm Gladwell, and uh, this week I wanted to have on someone a bit different. When I sat down with Lena Way two years ago, uh, her career was just on the verge of taking off. It hadn't quite taken flight. Um, she was on the show Master of None, and uh, the second season had just come out. And in that season was an episode called Thanksgiving, in which uh, Lena managed to tell uh, a fraction of her childhood through uh, a younger version of her character Denise and a fictitious mother played by Angela Bassett. If you have not seen this episode, uh, it is currently streaming on Netflix. It is, uh, to me, the strongest piece uh, in the two seasons of Master of None. It's the kind of personal and uh, soulful and and vulnerable storytelling that uh, people really responded to at the time and I think in a lot of ways made people flock to Lena and and the kind of goodness she is putting out into the world. In the intervening two years, um, it has been really incredible to watch uh, Lena Waithe ascend to heights that I... uh, I thought would happen. I just didn't know it would happen in two years. You never quite know the trajectory uh, someone's career is going to take. But uh, it has been an absolute joy to see Lena uh, transform herself and do all the things that she wanted to do since uh, she was a little girl on the south side of Chicago growing up. So I don't want to say much more. Uh, If you have not checked out the shy uh, boomerang Uh, She has a movie that she's producing coming out later this fall called Queen and Slim. Lena's one of these people that uh, is doing a thousand things at once, all the time, every day, and absolutely loves doing it. On a personal note, I want to add that uh, on the few occasions I've reached out to her for help, uh, she has, uh, without fail, um, been very generous and kind And um, I don't know, supportive in a way that many people are not. And I think that's a lesson to us all. Uh, You know, no matter where we're at in our lives, it really doesn't hurt to take, you know, what, 30 seconds, a minute, two minutes, and uh, try to be as helpful and generous as you can be uh, to the people that you care about. So uh, I think Lena's a really special person and uh, an absolute positive good force in the world. So uh, I did not know her when we met two years ago. Uh, We sat on the couch of my house back when we did these on the couch of my house here in Los Angeles. Things were a lot different then. A lot has changed. Mostly for her. I I think my life is, is almost the same. You know, there's a couple big changes, but... Um, only one of us uh, has been uh, on the cover of Vanity Fair. So uh, without further ado, I hope you enjoy this episode with the one and only Lena Waithe. weird that i can like this is great (laughs) that i can hear you
2: this this. is i know you sound very sexy Mm -hmm.
0: really yeah now it's weird that that i don't take that as it almost it's like a neutral comment coming from you is that wrong
2: oh is that because i don't date men yeah but i don't mean that
0: (laughs) We're, we're starting off on the right foot here yeah
2: we are no man like but i can we appreciate get into that? Because what does
0: that mean what why do i ha- why do i have that response as like a straight guy
2: because like because because if i were straight would that give you more of a tingle in your spine saying it kind of gave me a tingle anyway well see what i'm saying that's the thing it's like this whole straight gay situation it's just like <laughs> we're all humans
0: i love that it's a situation it's a
2: situation it's my favorite situation you know I don't mind. Yeah, I love to off the shoes, man. You can man. Take your shoes off. You Dude, take- these, here's a tough thing. The vans are comfy, man. Okay. It's like, that's the cool thing about it. It's like, you ain't got shoes on, you know? <laughs> um, Was this a Vans ad? Is, I know, right? Well, shit, send me some shoes. They're, they should. I am a sneaker head, though. I do like a, a sneaker. It's, it's a problem. Mm. Actually, it's not. I don't think it's a problem. It's not a problem. No, my girlfriend thinks it's a problem.
0: It's a problem if you don't have the money for it and you're that's spending true. too much
2: that's true yeah which is the the case
0: but let's talk about the situation because i actually think it it is fairly related to the episode of master of none that has received an, an absurd amount of <laughs> attention warranted warranted yeah, it's, it's crazy. warranted. it's look it's the best episode of the series
2: oh thank it you is. yeah you said the series you didn't even say season two no it's the it series thank you sir full stop i appreciate that brother yeah Thank you. That means a lot to me.
0: That conversation um, about your coming out story has been one circulated around the internet. Are you tired of
2: talking about it? Um, not yet. Um, I think because you know what's interesting, I never talked about it a lot uh, pr- uh, prior to this, the episode, and. And honestly, I'm even I was surprised that Alan and Aziz were so fascinated by the story I told them about it It because I flew out to New York to sit with the with them and other writers. uh, kinda
0: sorry to cut you off. Um, Was is this standard for the people on the cast of the show for, for Aziz and Alan to be like, okay, come to New York, update us on your lives. And then we're going to figure out the, the show from there.
2: Yeah. And we do have a super small cast. And like Arnold is kind of like, um, who's played by Eric Wareheim. Eric and Arnold are <laughs> very different. So that's sort of more of a character, even though Eric is, is is pretty silly and funny. But he's a character I think they kind of, you know, play with and have fun with. And then obviously Aziz and Alan are in the room anyway. And Kelvin Yu, um, who plays a version of Alan, he flew out to New York too, but it's literally it's like because also the first season, uh, they they were more based in L.A. and they and then, of course we shot the season in New York. Alan and Aziz got really New York happy and just sort of stayed there. So that's I think the reason why we flew out because, but they do that. It's like in the first season, it's it's very much we we were feeling it out and we're playing and but they did kind of pick up on the fact that like Aziz, the conversation I would have with Aziz or me saying oh yeah, she's a red bone. And him being like, what's that mean? Like Aziz as he's, as he's, sorry, asking what that means, which led to Dev asking what that means. And we kind of quickly realized, oh, that's kind of, that could be magic. That could be cool. And so I think that's a reason why for the second season, they were like, come out to where the writer's room is, which is in New York now, and, uh, and just talk to us about what's going on. And, you know, they would... I think it's really cool because here's the funny thing i was actually because i'm like a, i'm a studious person i'm like okay we're doing a season two y'all gonna want some shit let me take notes. Anytime my girlfriend and I would has experience something weird or do something funny, <laughs> I like write in my little notes on my uh phone. I'm like, okay, cool. I'm gonna keep this. I literally had a file like Denise shit, like or a p- typical maybe a potential Denise uh, <laughs> like episode idea.
0: How did your partner feel about that?
2: She hated it. She's so like, <laughs> I'm what? sure. I don't like this shit. Um. She's so funny. She's an exec. So she's on the other side of it. And so she's very like private and like not on the Insta as much as I am and all that kind of shit. But but I was like, yeah, I want to come with some stuff. So sure enough, I had some stuff ready. And I did like throw some stuff at them from my phone. I was like, okay, guys, here we go. And then in the midst of it, Alan, I think, said like, well, how did you come out? You know, like what was that like? And then... I started telling, you know, I started talking about my grandmother and my mom and I started doing their voices and like what that was like. Not even trying to, you know, I was just like it wasn't being myself. It was yeah. Just, <laughs> I was just it like, was just,
0: this is my life. And yes. Here's how it unfolded.
2: Exactly. And and there was a big thing I did make a note of. For, I, for some reason, I felt a need to make a note of this in the room. I was just like, it wasn't, it wasn't steeped in religion, my coming out. Like that wasn't a part of it. And I, because I'm very aware, hyper aware that within the black community, a big part of why it's difficult for people to come out is because how steep their families might be in the church. Now, mind you, my family went to church often, but they're not they can't quote the Bible. They not them people like they just they just aren't, <laughs> you know, and um, and I think for a long time, I was sort of grateful because the, the words that came out of my mother's mouth actually ended up being in the episode. Like I actually uh, wrote it as that it was more keeping up with the Joneses. It was more mm-hmm. about oh, what are the neighbors going to think? Or who else did you tell? Like that that was more, which is, speaks so much to my mom's, like thats that was more her fear than That like, was
0: her orbit. I mean, exactly. so it was more cultural than religious.
2: Yeah, it wasn't like, oh, you going to hell. Like that it could not have been further from her mind. She was just like, what are my friends going to think when they hear that? That was more of the thing. And, and I just really, I was pointed about making sure they knew that because I was like, I don't want y'all to think like, that was the frustrating part of it for me. It was more about me trying to get, over their generational stuff and their how they felt about how people would view them because of who I was. And Aziz and Alan, I think you, they were like, oh, that's interesting. I, I had never thought about it that way. And I was like, well, yeah, that was that was my situation. That's what I was dealing with. Mm. And uh, and so anyway, and so, and then I just sort of kept talking and being silly and we whatever, we talked about some random like movie references and then I went back to my hotel and like by the time I got there, like Alan and Aziz called me like, oh, they were like on speakerphone or some shit. And they were like, we want, we want to tell the coming out thing. We want to tell the coming out story. And I was like, what? I was like, you do, you want to tell that story? And they were like, yeah, They're like, would you be down? We know that's like super personal. And, uh, but I was like, you know what? Yeah. Like, why not? Like, sure. Let's, let's tell that story. And then I got nervous. Like, like well, can you help us write it? And I was like, uh, I've already got a full plate. Got a lot of shit going on. I trust y'all. Y'all go write it. And as he was just like, no, he's like, you're a, you're a writer. I need you to help me tell the story. He said, I don't want to get what you just did in the writer's room. I don't want to get that wrong. Right. Um, because he was like, he was, because he was like, it was so specific and all that stuff you were doing. He's like, I can't write that. He's like, I, he's like, I can write dev in that. He said, but I can't write all that stuff. So I was like, uh, okay. Um, and, uh, and I was, I was like, I don't have contractual obligation. All of that kind of stuff went out the window. And, um, we figured out a time. I actually, had, I was, in, I ended up being in London filming something, and then he ended up come as came out to London, and and we wrote it. We went, we were in a hotel room, and we just knocked it out. So, I say all that to say it's been a surprise that I even did that episode, and even I don't, I'm not, you know, not to be cocky, I'm not gonna say it's a surprise that we've gotten a warm reception, but I'll say it's been validating, mm-hmm. you know, because oftentimes when you're a person of color and you're in this town and you have a voice it's often filtered through someone else's voice to make other people feel comfortable. And the fact that Netflix doesn't do that, uh, Aziz isn't about that life. And they were like, you know, we're going to let you, and it's really, I was free falling. Like I wrote I helped write a script. I never got notes on it. (laughs) Like nobody said, what about this? What about that? So a part of me was like, okay, well, if this episode doesn't work, it's like they could literally point a finger at me. Mm. (laughs) Um, But, and I just never even thought about it. I never thought about people's response in this way i just always knew well this show this episode is black as hell it's honest as fuck it's real it's specific as hell and i was like hopefully people fuck with it that's really that's what i think that's kind of what that's my mentality i kind of have a, a rapper's mentality mm. like i'm gonna fucking go in the studio give give it give of myself and if people fuck with the mixtape they fuck with the mixtape if they don't you know Oh well.
0: So this was the mixtape.
2: This felt like my fucking you know uh, what 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 October's <laughs> own you know what I'm saying sure. you know what I mean?
0: That could be good. You
2: know what I mean? It's like that that's what it felt like. It, it was like me getting opportunity to like just fucking get in there and uh, and just speak my truth and and with no record label nobody being like this is this is how we gonna release it and so I just kind of kind of the fact that I could give it to people that straight with no tracer and, and folks being like yeah we like this we fuck with it. In a real way, to me, it just makes me, it makes me, it puts me in an even more beast mode because now it's like, yeah, yeah, like my voice is valid and people like it and give me more. Like I wanna do more, like give me more opportunities to go show what I got. Why do you think you
0: were resistant to telling this story?
2: I wasn't resistant. I was resistant to adding another thing to my plate. Well, hold on. Let me, let me correct. You,
0: you, I know you had a lot going on, uh-huh. but, you, but you did lead by saying, I haven't even been talking about this throughout my career, you know, when you were an assistant or uh-huh. when you've been producing and writing. Mm-hmm. This hadn't come up. Right. And I have to believe it's a pretty significant moment or chapter in your life. Mm-hmm. There's, there, I, I, I don't know. I mean, am I wrong to think like you kind of didn't... It didn't come... Not, not naturally. You didn't want to go into that chapter. You didn't want to revisit it.
2: You you know what is interesting? I think a big thing for me was I'm very interested in queer stories, particularly queer stories from people of color and their perspective. But a big thing for me is I like the idea of jumping into that queer person's life post coming out. Like that to me is so interesting. Like I feel like there's so much you know attention paid to okay well how what was it like when you came out to me it's like I want to see that person's life just like after that awkwardness like after they've you know come out to themselves come out to their family and now what's their life like as they're swagged out dating people out here you know doing their thing in the world so I think that's always been a big thing for me and just in my artistry not that I don't like it like I love pariah you know um so interesting because there there's not a coming out scene in Moonlight, so to speak. Um, although you're watching him uh, learn about his own sexuality sort mm-hmm. of in a very quiet way, which I really love because that's what it looks like. And that's what it feels like, honestly, in real life. You're what's
0: just... the internalizing?
2: Yes. You're, you're, you're wondering what's going on with you, not what's wrong with you necessarily. You're just wondering there's something different about me and I'm trying to wrap my brain around it.
0: Do you remember when that happened for you?
2: Ooh, I was really young. I remember watching Barney. I remember seeing the girls on that show and being like, because I was about their age. And I was like, oh, she's cute. And there's a character, Tasha. And I was like, she's cute. Because that's around the age, you know, like your your kids, they have crushes and they like each other. So at that age, I knew something was like different about me. Mm -hmm. I don't like saying wrong or off. Different. Um, Well, wrong
0: or off is not accurate.
2: Right. Exactly. You know, so... That's as early as that. Now, mind you, the weird thing is when you're a kid, you don't know much about that, all that stuff. So that's why it is such a slow burn because then you become a teenager and then you're like, okay, I'm dating guys because I feel like I'm supposed to, mm-hmm. but I'm not really into this.
0: See, that's what I was interested in because the the experience of being attracted to someone
1: mm-hmm.
0: happens you know for pretty much everyone yeah i mean there are people who are asexual but that that, that's their thing
2: Mm
0: -hmm. um but i remember that first girl that i was like
2: oh fuck like she was in i was in fifth grade right and there was, I remember her name. no No, yeah, oh, she gonna, gonna give her a shout out. I mean, is that happening? We'll call her Maggie. Okay, because I mean, there's a world in which this is the rom com. She hears this and is single and texts you. Look, so okay, her out.
1: name
0: was Maggie Riley. Come through. Everyone, of it was. everyone liked her. <laughs> this is not. This is not breaking news. Anyone who listens to this, they're gonna be like, "Yeah, Maggie. we all, we all had a crush." Regardless of of straight, bi, queer, everyone had. Most people, you know, that's what I was saying. Is like everyone's had that experience where they first felt attracted to someone else.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah.
0: And I guess I was wondering, like, you've had that in Barney, but that's that's fiction, right? That's right, like, right, right, right. What was, the, you don't have to name the person, but do you remember, like, a grade you were in where you're like, oh, shit, I think that girl's cute. Like, oh, she just finished that math test early.
2: <laughs> uh, I'm trying to think. I actually, I'm trying to, like. It's so funny, too, because I watched so much television as a kid. So that's why it's so interesting. Like, I live in, like, pop culture references. Like, that's most of what my life is because I, I always say, I, you know, I was raised by a single mother, but I was somewhat raised in a two-parent home. It was like my mom on the TV mm-hmm. um, because, you know, I was always in front of it. I was always looking at it. And then, of course, now I'm, you know, working in it, and I'm a television writer, and, and that's very interesting. Cut to parents look at their couch potato kids. Like, one day, you'll... Make a lot of money and you'll make us proud.
0: Let them sit on the couch Let for days. Let sit on the couch, man. One day they may write a sick
2: <laughs> Like they might write a television show. That could happen.
0: They might have an episode on a Netflix. <laughs> I know.
2: Exactly. This worked out for me. You know, it all worked. It all happened. Um, yeah, I'm trying to think. Well, definitely, you know, like a lot. Also, I definitely have a reputation even still now I hang out with a lot of straight girls, mm-hmm. a lot of straight black girls, and they're always gorgeous. Always gorgeous. Now the weird thing is, I I don't really have crushes on my friends because by the way, like this is sisters. your reputation. This is my your motherfucker. Lena,
0: she's just always with a bunch if of you hot see women.
2: These girls on this squad, te- you're gonna be like, I'm sorry, did I walk into coming to America? The opening scene, like, that's what these girls—they're gorgeous, like Nubian queens, All right. always.
0: Do you think we can be friends after this?
2: dude it's we're gonna exchange text mess they're gonna we're gonna exchange numbers we will be texting it's fine (laughs) it's happening i feel comfortable i'm a great judge of character you're cool people you got this house we're vibing uh uh you know what i'm saying so it's like you know so i've always been around like these gorgeous straight girls but i definitely like i think always thought like oh so-and-so is cute i'm trying to think now who was like, there was a girl that well, I did thought you have, was cute well, in middle school, but I can't remember her name now. But she was really cute.
0: Did you have a group of friends in middle school that were girls? Is that, is that what you had?
2: Yeah. I've always hung around girls. Mm. I wasn't that like tomboy that only hung around boys. Like right. I always hung around other girls. I, and maybe because I felt comfortable because I literally grew up in a house for the That episode is very reflective of my life. It was like my grandmother, my mom's sister, her friends. I have an older sister, We had neighbors that would come over. They were, like, all women. Like, it was just, like, I was always around eavesdropping, listening to older women and uh, to listen to them talk, listen to them gossip, listen to them talk shit. So I always say, like, that's how I learned to – that's where my swag really comes from. Mm. It's like
0: That's where you learn how to talk shit.
2: That's where I learned, man, like, very early. That's how I learned how to talk about world events. And, like, you know, and it was always the black female slant on Mm. it, you know. And that's what those conversations at the table in the episode are, like, literally pulled from like me. Cause also just other cool thing too. As a kid, I got to sit at the table. I couldn't say shit. Uh, but I, I no, literally, yeah, that's not what grown folks are talking. But that to me was like, a, I was a little black sassy woman in training, you mm-hmm. know? So, I would listen to them and watch them and they had no qualms about like they would talk curse and like right. talk about like OJ Simpson and the white women and this and that. Cause they didn't, they're just like, whatever, Lena's here. Next. But it really kind of, it, I, I learned so much about how to how to just be in the world by, from watching them and listening to them.
0: See, I think there's a true different verbiage in Chicago of like how people speak. Cause mm-hmm. I, my family as well just, Great shit talkers, just phenomenal. Mm-hmm. Cutting yep. terrible shit. Oh yeah, yeah. And I and I and when I moved here, I was like, man, people are really nice. Right. They don't know how to do it. They don't know how to do it. No. See, are people m- less kind in Chicago than they are here, or are just people more fake out here?
2: People are more fake out here. I think people are more passive aggressive.
0: Yeah, I hate passive
2: aggressive. Me too. That, but that's, but that's, you know, I think, you know, yeah, I'm from Chicago, but. I Chicago is a part of me. Like it's, that's why I think I am so blunt, or why I do have sort of a hustler spirit. Where what neighborhood did you grow up in? Well, I grew up on the south side of Chicago, like right off of what people know Chicago. I grew up off of like Semi Street, off mm-hmm. of Dan, Dan Ryan. Yeah, I know where that. Is. Um, but and so I grew up there, and I did. I live with my grandmother. <laughs> it's like it's like such a cliche. My mom had to move us and live with my grandmother because she divorced my father, and she didn't have the money to live on her own. So what age did they split up? When I was two. So, so you don't really
0: remember them being together?
2: No, not really. But he, there were some weekends where he like would come and like be around up until I was like seven or mm-hmm. eight. So I do have some blurry memories. Um, I have
0: none. My parents put up before I was one. Oh, shit. Yeah. like, but Not that I... My dad's a huge part of my life. Oh, okay. I have no memories of them as a unit.
2: Yeah, that's... Yeah. I can't
0: even... Fa- I've seen pictures and I'm
2: like... That's, that's so weird. What the fuck is that? That's... I'm always so intrigued... And I'm kind of in that boat too. I know before you were even turned one, it's like super fast, but I'm always intrigued by like, I mean, I was two. So it's like you have a kid, so there's something, you know, that's working and then, you know, the kid comes and it's like. Oh, you're intrigued why it didn't work out? No, just say in terms of I've, I've heard stories <laughs> from people that they're like, oh, I was one years old or I was just born or I was, you know, I, I got even me, like I was two mm-hmm. and it's like, what is it that like you have this child that fairly recently and it's like, I can't do this. Like I got to get out here. You know what I'm saying? And whatever. I just always think it's so fascinating. Well, Not to say a baby fixes anything. Sure. But I just always think it's like, there's a baby. It's like you have to.
0: (laughs) In my case, it wasn't working. I think before I was even born, like they were in mid pregnancy, but they wanted to have a kid. They wanted the kid. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know what happened in your case. Why did, why did, what did it mean? Does your mom ever say, we split up because of this?
2: I you know, and is I feel bad because i only had my mom's side. I never, you know what I'm saying? But she said he, you know, he uh he kind of got into some some shit, like some 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 drug kind of stuff, and also was not faithful or was not faithful like a second time. And like that's sort of like what it what it was. So uh yeah. She told me that I was like, we were living in I was in high school. Um I don't even know how that came up. I, I just uh, she yeah, because I never even asked. I didn't. I, it was I was so young, and my well, it was normal for me to be living with my grandmother and and my mom, and my sister, and my aunt was over there often. Uh, so yeah, so it wasn't a thing. But it was. I think he just kind of wasn't really ready to be mm. a husband and a father in the way he needed to be. So she just kind of and my sister was four. So, uh, cause so you were the second kid. Yeah. 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 And it's only two of us. So yeah, she packed us up and we, uh, moved to with my grandmother and I lived there till I was 12.
0: Do you remember a conversation with your mom when you're like, Hey, why, why are we living with?
2: No, 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 it never. It didn't come up. No. And I think, um, because I think I thought that everybody lives with their grandmother, you mm-hmm. know what I'm saying? It was sort of like, I was so young that it was just normal, and also too, like my grandmother had a house and, we, and she had a basement, so we lived in the basement. Mm. Sounds not good, but we made the basement look nice. the, the basement was fly. <laughs> you know, we made it work.
0: I slept in the basement.
2: <laughs> it's yeah. like a, I know how it sounds. People in
0: California they don't understand basements.
2: I know, man. Like they don't know. It's I like know they hear a basement and they think like, they think oh, it's going to collapse on there. That's the where some they shit. find the kids and fucking SVU. Uh, <laughs> no, it's like. We had it, it was, was a, a carpet. Reading. I know that we had a carpet. We <laughs> had couches. I had a room down there. It was all good. It was good, um, but yeah. So it wasn't. It was not weird or strange to me at all.
0: I guess I am. I'm asking all this because you mentioned that you're in this time. You watch a lot of TV. Mm-hmm. TV is a fairly isolating activity. Yeah. Did you feel lonely?
2: No, I think because. I was so obsessed with these certain television characters. You know, like, I was really obsessed with the Cosby show, really obsessed with The Different World, and, and that's the other thing, too. It's like, I came up, I was very lucky, you know, in terms of the generation I grew up, like, I would see black kids on television, you know, watching Family Matters, you know, even watching Full House. Like, I remember, like, Taj Mari being on Full House, like, the little black kid, like, watching mm-hmm. my mom would take me to go see, I'm sure she'd go see Eve's Bayou, like, seeing Journey Smollett, who I'm now friendly with, which is crazy, and looking at that Eve's you is one of my favorite movies of all time. And I'm the same age as as Eve in the movie. And so I'm like so I would always connect to you know when I was really young, I could go, "Oh, look at those like that's a kid that's like me, like Rudy and like, you know, you know, and even also the Parenthood before Parenthood on NBC there was a Black Parenthood with like fucking like Robert Townsend and all mm-hmm. that kind of shit. And seeing a little kid like Cece and like all that kind of shit. I remember, you know, watching that stuff and 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 seeing myself And how it felt so, you know, I felt less alone. The
0: surrogate family.
2: Yeah, and um, and then and then I would also obviously obsess over a different world where those characters were much older than me, but looking up to them and being like, oh, they're in school, they're smart, they're fly, they're cool, you know. Thinking Jasmine guy was the most beautiful thing to ever walk the face of the earth, (laughs) uh, and um, and same thing with uh Hillary on Fresh and Fresh Prince. I was obsessed with her. You know what I'm saying? So, uh. Yeah, I would just sort of always. I found solace in those characters and in those shows and in those sets. Those like brightly colored sitcoms, and you know. And then as I got older, I watched Martin like relentlessly, and Living Single, and uh, and just like tried to mimic them and like say their you know they say a line, I'd say it back to the TV. It just felt very comforting. Mm-hmm.
0: I mean, eventually you grow up and you're in high school, and what is your you went to evanston high school Mm -hmm. what is your life like there i know you said you were dating guys
2: yes well i dated a guy which ironically turned out he's a homosexual as well like Mm -hmm. he came out to me came to visit me uh (laughs) when i was at i I moved out here and uh, he was still living in chicago and And I was like, why are you? Well, I was excited he was coming out to visit me because we were like really close. I mean, like we dated like all of high school, went to prom together. Like, so we we were just like. But so what was, was it non-sexual? Not at all. There was like no kissing. There was nothing. But I didn't. But honestly, a lot of people think I'm lying or think I'm crazy. I swear I did not get, he was not effeminate, nothing. Like there was no sign. I was the obvious one. I was walking around looking like freaking vintage Queen Latifah and set it off and Mm. the brat. Kid you not.
0: Were you killing it in high school?
2: You know what? A little bit. A little bit. Mm-hmm.
0: Because like I was... Because anytime I hear vintage Queen Latifah...
2: Dude, I was... Because also too, You're I was... about like
0: rapping Queen Latifah.
2: More like Cleo, Queen oh, Latifah. Shit. I was very... I even had the cornrows at one point. It was <laughs> such... I was like more butch in high school than I am now. It was crazy. But the thing was, though, but the, the, and I will say, I have to say, being an obviously gay teenager, even though I was not out or whatever... It's easier, I think, if you're a girl, a little bit, because I was very uh, tomboyish, wore baggy clothes, that whole thing, and did not get shit for it. Like, people were like, oh, okay, you know, all right, that's Lena. She just, you know, she dresses like, you know, like a boy, so what? There's a weird thing, because I think people assume, oh, it's a phase, you you know, you'll get older and you'll be wearing skirts and stuff like that. If you're a guy, because we had a guy who I, who, you know, big shout out to him, and it was Chris Jennings in high school, um, I think we did middle school, middle school together too. We're friends on Facebook. He recently like wished me happy birthday on, on Facebook. And, he, and here's the tough thing. He couldn't, hi, he was very effeminate. And it's a thing that like, it was in his body. He, he couldn't not be that. And I remember him being just like tortured, you know, because he's a black, he was a black kid, black boy, very thin and effeminate. And, you know, and people just gave him such a hard time as kids do, especially in high school, especially during that time, even though people think like, oh, it wasn't that long ago. I'm like, yeah, but, nice. you know, we've progressed a little bit. Um, now, mind you, even still, I think there's a world in which if you're that and you're in a black neighborhood and you're going to you going to get shit. Uh, if you're in Brentwood, they may be like, okay, whatever. Uh, but he got a really hard time and kids would just walk by me and like, and I was obviously freaking gay. I mean, and not to say that, okay, if your daughter's wearing baggy clothes, it, it could be a phase. But it's just, I just mm-hmm. thought how interesting that was and i remember looking at him and also at that point like knowing my freaking truth i think i it it, not completely but knowing
0: but you didn't you never i guess you know you never articulated your truth to this guy
2: no well no well he i'm trying to remember and now now my memory is like sort of on the test i'm trying to remember if i oh you know what i did i came out to him first and um and the, then like maybe the a year, you were dating. Yeah, but but this was like we weren't dating anymore in high school. Like uh, like we when we went to college, we were just sort of like best friends. We were always, mm-hmm. you know, texting, calling, whatever. And then um, and then and we remained really close when I moved out to Los Angeles. Uh and I told him, and then like a year or a year and a half later, like he came he came out here literally to tell me because we were so he he's like, I'm not gonna do that over the phone. But um, it's fascinating it's you had a crazy.
0: relationship in high school where there was never a conversation of like, hey, we no. don't kiss. We don't.
2: I mean, it became, that was, a, it was, a, we would have conversations with our friends about it, like not with each other. Because mm. they were like, what the fuck? Like, why are we not like moving forward? Because also, you know, in high school, people were like going ham. They're like yeah. doing all kinds of shit. And I was like, is that was happening at your high school? Yes. We had a couple, we had multiple pregnancies at the, uh, the graduation. It was like a whole thing. I did a little paper about it. Cause it was like so many, and most of those girls were African-American. Mm-hmm. Um And uh yeah, I was just sort of, cause you know, they just not knowing or knowing that's the thing. Like, you know, trying to, you know, find, try to create something that that's theirs. You know, that's the whole deep dive, but yeah, I was aware. I was happy where I would talk to my friends about it. I think he talked to his friends. Cause you know, we both had friends that were like, you know, kissing, canoodling, doing all kind of stuff. And, and, I really wish somebody would have just, you know, like pointed at both of us. and like, both of y'all are gay as hell. Although he, him, you wouldn't have known. I mean, he was like any other teenage black boy wearing like FUBU, you know, Jordans mm-hmm. and like all that kind of shit. So, but for me, it was like painfully obvious. But like, that's the thing. Like, no, but I didn't have anyone to go. You should take a look in the mirror and really go on a spiritual journey. Uh,
0: was it actually painful?
2: No, it was just, it was more, it's it's sort of a, it's a surprising thing. You're like, oh, okay. So I'm, it's, like, it's also daunting too. Cause you're like, cause then when you realize that you're like, oh shit, I got to come out to people. Like I have to, I'm going to live a different life. I'm going to go to gay clubs rather than straight clubs. It's like those things I was sort of thinking about. I was like, oh, my life is going to be different. In these ways and then also do you too you have to mourn it's interesting because people always say your parents have to mourn the straight life they dreamed about for you but you kind of have to as well because you are where we live in the heterosexual society um and you you know convince yourself like yeah like i could be like i'm i could be straight, i could do that and then when you realize like nah i can't then it's just sort of a, a big wave of Oh, so my life is going to look n- not like everybody else's. And that does take some getting used to for your own self for your for yourself. Like you have to kind of wrap your brain around how that your life's is not going to look like everybody else's. And that is that's a that's a bit of a weight on your chest. Even though once you get into it, now it's like, oh, well, yeah, yeah, my life looks different, but but at the root of it, it's I have the same you know, deal with the same stuff and go through the same things as everyone else. Mm. But when you're realizing it in college, I mean, some people earlier than that in a real way, you start to go, oh, well, okay, my life is going to look different.
0: So does it happen for you at Columbia?
2: The reality, yes. You know, the real reality sinking in of like, okay, I can't like keep pretending to be something I'm not. And then when I moved to Los Angeles was when I was like, oh, because also too, it's like I didn't have any family out here. I like I didn't know anyone. And
0: mm-hmm. so So you do two, three years at Columbia? I
2: do four. Four years, yeah. but you
0: but you move for the second oh, half years. Yeah, the second half of two thousand six.
2: Yes, that's true. I, I did the semester in LA out here. So um th- and here and that's why I think I and also too, I've lived here since oh six. So so I feel like I'm you know, half of me, half of my identity is wrapped up in this city, even though the beginning of who i am in chicago but i've learned so much about myself i fell in love i met my true love out here and there's just i found success in like a career and a village so hmm. la is is a huge part of who i am as well now so i feel like the move to la i was it was freeing in a way and i and i didn't realize this then but i was i really had my sexual awakening here when you came here yeah
0: because kind of had to leave home
2: Yeah. You know, looking back on it now, you know, that had to, even though I was very much like aware of like my identity and who I was when I was still in Chicago, wrapping up, rounding up my my college career in Chicago. But, but being out here, there was this, oh, well, I can go do this thing and like not get caught or I can go meet up with this girl, go on this dating like little thing or whatever. And I think that's where I really kind of jumped off the cliff. And uh and that's why that's why my mom, you know, I can I I didn't come out to my mom until I was living out here at maybe a couple of years. Uh So in
0: 2008 yeah. your mom comes out. You guys go to a Mel's Diner on yep. Ventura. Yeah.
2: Mhm. Yeah. So crazy. And uh and I'm wondering it's so funny because I was trying to think back like what the impetus like why did I I don't know. I just I, I don't know. For some reason I was like if it's in a public place it won't be as like bad mm-hmm. or weird it's just that's was a ill advised but like yeah, i felt so bad for that server cuz the person was like like what is happening at this table over so here so did you guys get a booth? We did. Of course.
0: Sunny outside?
2: It was sunny outside. Of course. It's fucking LA. It's always sunny outside. Yeah. Uh but good yeah. guess on my part. Yeah, great guess so yeah and that's why that's why again it was so funny that they were like they were like okay where did it happened what did to do so we sort of recreated a diner scene and, stuff. Mm. and it's so funny because people really love that scene they're like and oh was it was it really in a diner I'm like yeah it was in a diner
0: i'm interested did you um sort of talk about something else leading up to that at the diner were you guys talking about your life in la your success there your you know i mean how nice it is outside
2: yeah. I'm sure there was a little small talk, but not much, Mm -hmm. not much. Cause I think I wanted to, to get it, to like jump in and get it done. You were anxious. Yeah. 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 So it wasn't a ton. It, it kind (laughs) of, it was a little bit like the actual scene. It was sort of like, okay. And also too, the other thing, I was also genuinely annoyed that I had to come out, which Mm -hmm. is sort of a silly, it's like, even if I was very obvious, which I absolutely was. Mm-hmm. And I definitely think my family was in a large state of denial about it. But also, too, they didn't have a lot of experience right. with that, too. So, you know, it's fine. But I was frustrated that I even had to say something because mm-hmm. I was like, what the hell? Like, why do I even have to say this or come out? But also what was happening in Chicago with in my absence was that there was a lot of talking and like rumor and all that kind of stuff going on
0: because you had told other people
2: uh i told my sister and and i think my mom's friend that's so funny because the character that kim willie plays is a combination of like some of my mom's friends my actual mother's sister and like them sort of being in the kitchen being like well what's going on is lena you know that kind of stuff and so that's why i think my sister at some point was just like look they're talking about it and you need to you need to sort of come out on your own terms versus people assuming or guessing or thinking something of you, you need to like, just say it in your, in your own way, however you want to do that. So that way it's not just rumor or speculation between these women in this house. And, uh, and that I agree with that. I think was a big, like, I was like, yeah, it's true. Like I don't, I'm like, even though I didn't care, but it was true. It was. It's a. It's a right. To, it's a rite of passage. You have to. It's a difficult thing. It's. It's the worst thing. It's the scariest thing. But why were you scared? I mean, here's the thing. Even though I know she, my mother would not have like disowned me or or said I never want to see you again, but here's the thing. You don't know. You don't know. You literally, and that's what I was trying to describe. Some. the the coming out process to somebody. It's basically you have to mentally prepare yourself for everybody to go, okay, I don't like that. I'm out. So that's what you have to, you have to build that up. You have to kind of prepare yourself for that because that could happen. Um, And so that's why it's sort of scary because you're like, okay, what, what now? Like I said, I said it now, what, now what happens? And so for me, luckily that didn't happen, but then it became this sort of, awkward bumpy thing of okay well how do i relate to you what do i say and also too my mom was sort of still like hopeful that it wasn't the case and that was frustrating that it was a phase right and that was frustrating which i'm sure happens to a lot of people but you know again i just think she was as ill-equipped to you know that's just something she didn't bargain for you know uh and uh and there was just no rule book and also just a, is a different generation and everything she represents in terms of like, she's very feminine. She, you know, cares what people think about her. And so it's just, it was all those things wrapped up. And also my sister who was straight as a board, you know, who was like, so that so it's just like this thing of like, I don't know what to do with this. I don't know how to handle this. It's, it saddens me, you know? And so it was just all those things and uh, wrapped up, and I think that's what I was, you know, when I when I said I don't write the right episode, that's what I want to convey. Like, like, not that she was evil or like said, like was not trying to say mean things. Right. It's just she didn't know how to handle it. Right.
0: She didn't have the tool set for it. Mm-mm. Putting a pause on the conversation for a second. Uh, I just want to remind everyone that uh, Talk Easy is uh, an independently operated and run podcast. I have said that way too many times on this very podcast. Um, It is just a long, fancy way of saying that uh, everyone who works on this show, uh, myself included, makes no money from it. Everyone does it because they like it. And if you looked at the back catalog of this show, whether... You looked at it on our website, on Stitcher, SoundCloud, Spotify, iTunes. You'll notice that we've been around for uh, three years, and we have done over 140 episodes. You may have also noticed that in those three years, uh, you liked other podcasts that were not run by NPR, Panoply, um, Gimlet, the sort of bigger, larger operations that can fund and properly promote their shows you probably also noticed that a lot of those programs do not exist anymore. That is not a coincidence. And in the interest of transparency, which uh, we strive for on this show week after week, I want to tell you that it is not easy to make a podcast for no money. It is not easy to make a podcast for some money. It's not even easy to make a podcast for a lot of money. Talk to Max Linsky, Anna Sale, uh, anyone who works at NPR... Uh, It's hard work to do these things every week. So this is yet another uh, meandering pitch uh, for this show that uh, if it has ever meant something to you, if it has helped you, if it has inspired you, if it's just made you feel a little bit less alone on those car rides, which is primarily how I use podcasts, uh, it would really mean a lot to me and everyone on our team if you consider donating. To learn about how you can do that, uh, be sure to visit our site at talkeasypod.com slash donate. We are on Venmo at talkeasypod, and we are also on PayPal at talkeasypod at gmail.com That's it. That's my pitch. Uh, I appreciate all of you listening. I appreciate many of you who have donated uh, including uh, recently Adam Leishman for helping out the show. Uh, If you cannot make a financial contribution, the easiest way to help us out, really, and I, and I know I've said this before, share the show on social media. Share it with a friend. Share it with a relative. Send a friend an email? Send a, a note to someone you you haven't talked to in a while about an interview that maybe reminds you of them? I've done that before. Is that crazy? I don't know. Anyway, um, thank you all for being here. Now, back to Lena Waith. It's interesting because the uh, the contrast between your mom not knowing how to handle it
1: mm-hmm.
0: versus your certainty and confidence. That that is something I'm like struck by in the forty minutes we've been talking, mm-hmm. but also the other interviews I've seen. You're remarkably confident and you seem so self assured about like everything in your life and it's uh it's impressive it's 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 i don't understand it <laughs> i think it's incredible where does that come from
2: you know what interestingly enough i think it comes from her though you know it's like uh even when shit is bad you can't read it on her face <laughs> now that could be deemed not the best thing uh but that's what i witnessed you know and also i think you know, my grandmother, you know, who is a person, particularly speaking about my mother's mom, who literally <laughs> left the South because she's from Arkansas and was not, it was not a fun time to be a black girl in the South at her, when the time she was a teenager. She's like, she literally got married to get the fuck out of the South. Like, mm-hmm. when she was too young. Her, her my, my great grandmother had to sign her marriage like license to approve, it, to approve the marriage. <laughs> Cause she was like, I'm getting the fuck out of here and I'm going to Chicago. <laughs> and, um, and that's where she went and she stayed and she traveled. And she was like this like fly person that even though she had kids, she was like, I'm not about to stay in this house. She's like, y'all know how to iron, y'all know how to cook, figure it out. I'll be back, you know? And so I do think I come from a line of women that rise like the Phoenix no matter what the scenario is. So I think being raised by the, you know, that's the thing too. I, I think because the, you know, God would have it that I would be raised in the house with my grandmother, which is the same house my mother was raised in, uh, and be raised in that village of people. Also too, I, I was raised in a neighborhood where a black, you know, the the house across the street that I from us had a little a stick left by a burning cross because the family across street was the first black family to move to that neighborhood. And so, but when I was there, it was an all-black neighborhood. So it's like, then those were the people, and those are my neighbors, the Watsons. I won't forget them. You know what I'm saying? Like, that's the community I grew up in. So I just kind of I think it's more so, it's more stemmed from, you know from the people I was around and from from whence I came, you know. And I think there's also a thing I'm very much connected to my history, you know. I haven't done the whole ancestry.com thing. I don't know what part of Africa my 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 ancestors were kidnapped from. But I'm it, it's not lost on me that I am a descendant of people that survived the middle passage. It's like this shit that I go through or deal with or that people throw at me, it ain't as bad as that. It's not as bad as slavery. (laughs) It's not as bad as Jim Crow. Not as bad as the civil rights movement. So, that's where I come from. That's the bloodline that I'm from. How can I not walk tall? Like, I, I have to. Just as a as a salute to them. I feel like they deserve at least that. That if they have to go through all that, that like, I shouldn't, when I walk, I shouldn't bow.
0: That's a good answer.
2: And what about God? <sighs> well, without him, there is no, there is no me <laughs> it's like they there is like i believe that <clears throat> my steps are ordered i remember always hearing that you know when i did go to church i listened i'll say you know my mom tried to she was a little sporadic with it but uh she 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 got us there when she could um but i did take i took in a lot and i know she would probably be happy to hear that you know if she ever listens to this podcast although i don't, don't think she knows how all that works but th- that's what i remember is that my steps are ordered even when I feel like I don't like where I'm walking or what I'm walking through, there's a reason why I'm walking through it. There's a reason why he would have me be on the path that I'm on. And also the thing I remember where there is no vision, the people perish. Like I remember listening to that. And also we would get like, sometimes my mom would buy cassette tapes of like the sermons and I would listen to them in my room on headphones. Like again, again, there's a particular pastor that I really liked, Um, his name is Winston, Reverend Winston Johnson. And, um, I remember that was one of his favorite passages, where there is no vision, the people perish. And so I would always say it to myself again and again, where there is no vision, the people perish. And it's and so for me, I've always had a vision because I always think if without a vision, you know, I I can't I can't survive. And so I try to visualize where I see myself and what I want things to look like. I said, seriously, I was on the phone with somebody today. They're like, okay, Lena, if you say that's how it's going to be, I'm like, yeah, that, this is going to happen, this is going to happen, this is going ha- to go this way, I'm going to do this, this, and that. If this mm-hmm. goes this way, I'm going to do this, and that. And they're like, okay, all right. So it's like, if you say so, I'm it's like. not a, oh, I'd like to do this, or
0: maybe maybe, maybe <laughs> we should do this. It's a, we're doing it this
2: way. Yeah, yeah. You know, it's a gift and a curse. Um, but Oh,
0: I'm sure you're a pain in the ass.
2: <laughs> oh, absolutely just go ask the agents at WME but yeah it's you're like, Spielberg in the making look yo please Lord from your lips to God's ears um, <laughs> love him uh, but uh, let's not get into that I know right we don't need you in trouble okay but I do love him <laughs> one question, more question go ahead was it great it was phenomenal it was life changing mm. what I will say about him is that uh, he's a giant that doesn't make you feel small
0: And that's why he can work with anyone and he can make all those movies man you can't you cannot be a colossal asshole and like Mm. make as much as he does that's true you can make it you can be a colossal asshole and make a movie every seven years
2: right right
0: that's great it could still be a great movie i'm not saying paul thomas anderson is an asshole
2: (laughs) No, no no i'm such a fan he's incredible but no but i mean man it's just the kindest, you know, it's like the dad you wish you had, you know, for me. Uh,
0: that In yeah. that case, it, I mean, in your case, that seems especially. Do you feel like you've missed something on that front?
2: No, not particularly.
0: Uh, this is just a theory I've come up with mm-hmm. and it could it. It could be as inane as the thing I started with earlier when you were saying my voice sounds sexy and I was like, I don't know if I... La-. That was stupid too, so this may also be dumb. But do you think like you kind of diverted or like you avoided a lot of potential problems you may have had with men because they're not part of your life romantically. Hmm. And And I know like it's not a choice that you're that's what you like. You like Mm -hmm. what you like. Right. But it is interesting that there's a parallel there where you, you haven't had to deal with men in a romantic Mm -hmm. sense, except for your boyfriend who was as gay as me. Yeah.
2: Hmm. I mean, you never know, you know, because there's a strong chance that if I was not gay and yes, I did not really grow up with my with my father having a strong presence in my life. There's a world in which I could have met somebody that right away that just kind of worked and it was fine, but um, or I could have like fallen down some different pitfalls and this and that. But also too, I know people who have great relationships with their dad and like cannot right. find a man to save their lives. Sure.
0: So that's but what that I, term like daddy issues, which is a right. disgusting dumb term. It has become so prevalent in our lives. Oh, yeah. And it does generally stem from the absence of a father.
2: Right. But I think to me, I think daddy issues can be prevalent whether your father is present or oh, not. Totally. You know? Sometimes um, it's
0: worse when he is present.
2: I know. Exactly. So, I mean, to me, it's just like, I got just family issues. Damn near daddy. You know what I'm saying? It's just like me <laughs> trying to figure out, you know, my what my role is in that. Family, you know, because I am so different. I'm a bit of a the eyeball, you know, because I'm like I don't come from a showbiz family <laughs> at all, uh, and I have, you know, a I think very, that's a good thing. Yeah, maybe. Yeah, it's just it's just because I'm like I don't have anyone to, you know. <laughs> well, but the cool thing is I have a a village of people out here who are in the business who I can talk to about right. it. Um, but it's a unique. It's an odd life Mm. you know which i know for them is sort of very much it's it's
0: a it's odd and maybe i'm just saying that because i it's similar like my family my mom's a lawyer my dad's a public school teacher in chicago you know love that they don't they're They're normal yeah they love movies and stuff but they're not hollywood they didn't come from this
2: they don't understand it at all that can be a little frustrating at times
0: they're interested though
2: yeah, I mean, I think...
0: My, my family. I don't know about yours. I
2: don't know if they're interested. I think they're intrigued. I think they're confused.
0: Oh, confused, I definitely.
2: Yeah, but I also think they're Fuck, happy about it. <laughs> I know, it's so fucking... It's a weird... <laughs> it's a, but that to me, the cool thing, I think, in having as many experiences as I've gotten to have, especially as of late, the veil has been lifted a little bit for me where I kind of can see it more. Because when I first came out here, it was, you know, I, I, I'm at Oz. Here we are. We made it. The Emerald Castle,
0: hmm.
2: um, but then it's sort of like you kind of see the wizard behind the curtain a little bit, and uh, and I think um, and not that I and, and honestly I'm not um, jaded at all at all, uh, which I think is cool, and I hope to maintain that cut to 10 years, you know, I'm at Can like, here we go again. I don't know, but.
0: Lena's back on the show this week. <laughs> I fucking hate all these people.
2: I am I quit. I'm done. <laughs> I should have had a franchise movie by now. Ah, this is some bullshit. Where's my Ibby? Um, why am I not a superhero? Why I don't have my own show yet? This is some bullshit. Um, I think for me, I'm still, I'm just, I'm very, I've been educated. I know what, I know what it is. I know, I know how the machine works. I've seen the rust. I've seen the grind. I've seen the the cool stuff it can pump out. But I know how the sausage is made. But I still like the sausage. Mm. Still so like to eat it. Still got a taste for it. Right. So that's sort of you know I'm in that space And I try to mentor as much as I can and. Well, you're kind of in a stuff. fascinating
0: spot between the art and commerce because I know I've heard you talk about your friend uh justin simeon mm-hmm. who told you like hey i want to know how to make a movie and sell a movie yeah and he did publicity mm-hmm. and you worked as an assistant on shows right and you were um, gina's uh I, you
2: know it's hard yeah gina prince bythewood i don't want to mess that up it's all good i got you
0: i met her once i was like i don't want to mess this
2: she's up. she's so cool i just said hi gina nice to meet you yeah you go smart smart man <laughs> she's so fucking good beyond the,
0: beyond the Lights is incredible right so for context why you tell you were an assistant oh yeah
2: oh, I was Gina's assistant I was her assistant on during post on The Secret Life of Bees Secret Life of Bees and then and I just kind of stayed on I just you know I be, I was my goal was to be like the best assistant ever
0: mm-hmm. um, and you've I mean it sounded like you were like <laughs> That's family now.
2: Oh, my! Uh, yeah, no. I tweeted her today because there's an announcement she's doing a Marvel movie. Uh, and I was like, she's my, my industry mama. And then she always jokes and said, well, I had you in my teens. I said, okay. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> no, she's my and I, t- I talked to her the other day. Just we had a great conversation. I always loved talking to her. And I think for her, it's got to be odd, you know, for her assistant, you know, but who she always believed in and always saw something in. But I know it has to blow her mind, like, you know, watching me now. And I know she's extremely proud um, and her husband too, Reggie Bythewood, who was very much you know a mentor you know to and uh, and I worked for Avery DuVernay on her first narrative film, I will follow. And uh, yeah, man, I've been really lucky to work for for cool people, and and just they they remain in my life and in a real way, you know. Mm-hmm. And where if I even if I want to call and complain and like uh, what what is this? What do I do? This is some bullshit. And they always you know can relate in a way or say, here's how I think you should handle it, or this is what I think you should do. Uh, it is it's it's real advice you know coming from people who have lived it and been there before, and I just find that to be helpful
0: they've lived it and also in talking about you know the thing you mentioned of seeing how the sausage gets made mm-hmm. it does seem like you're interested in selling as well as mm-hmm. well as making the art that moves and is powerful yeah. and impactful but You're an, I mean, I don't know what you think about this, but you're an outlier. Like, that's not most. There's a lot of filmmakers who are like, okay, I went to film school. Right. And now I'm making this movie and I don't care about selling it. I don't want to do the publicity. I don't want to do this. Sure. But you're a real, I mean, the fact that you're a writer first Uh is important, but the producing angle seems significant to me.
2: Yeah. And it's something I really like a lot. I like putting the pieces together and making something and then getting it out into the world.
0: Cause that's a different skill than being a talented artist.
2: True. Oh yeah. No, you're juggling, you're managing, you're babysitting. Uh, a lot of babysitting. Yeah. You're emailing a ton, you know, you're calming things down. How much time are you spending on email? <sighs> I do it throughout. I try to, I, and also, and I don't, I'm not a fan of not responding to email. I'm trying to find that person. If you send me email, I'm going to get a response. So, but because I, I do a thing where if I'm in the middle of something and I see, it, I check an email, I see it, I read it, I take it in. I know I don't have time to respond to it in the way I would like to. So I just flag it. And then later on that evening when I get home and I, ha- I like responding to email on my laptop mm-hmm. so I can really like go in and do my thing. I don't like doing it on the phone. I just, cause I just, I feel restricted. Right. So, uh, so yeah, so it's, it's, I'm always, you know, there's always a call, there's always a thing, but but I, I like juggling. I like having different things. I like my energy being, you know, a little spread out. So I'm not always like, because if you're too honed in on one project, like you go crazy. So I like that's what I always tell people, I'm like, just for as a practice, like, yeah, you're a writer, you have a thing, but if you know a younger writer that has a script, and maybe if you don't want to produce it or whatever, but this, but if you just read it and give them notes on it, like that's a cool thing. It's a break away from your own shit. Mm. It kind of helps you from being completely narcissistic. It's like, okay, yes, you have a script. Okay, great. Let's see what happens with it. But like. Well, it's sort through. of like
0: that pay it forward philosophy. Oh, yeah.
2: And it helps you. It's like, it's a cool thing to, mm. to like, to go, oh, you know what? Your first act, you could pace it up a little bit, you know? So then that keeps you in mind when you go back to your thing. Oh, let me take my own advice. You know, it's, it's just, it's it's a it's a give and take and I, and I and I like it a lot. But it's interesting, I want to go to something you said about the outlier thing. There's a documentary I really love because I'm obsessed with Stephen Sondheim and, um and there's a documentary called The Best Worst. Thing that could have ever happened mm-hmm. it's on netflix actually um or itunes however you want to watch stuff uh but it's interesting because it's about it's actually about uh the first failure that he has a, he put this broadway play up him and how prince um called merrily we roll along and it was like everybody was like looking for it hyped about it they're like all snap It's about to be some shit it just it closed after a few performances and it was like devastating to the, all the young kids that were in this play because they're like, I'm in a Sondheim, but I'm just about, <laughs> my life's about to change. And it didn't, you know what I'm saying? But it's, it, it's a really phenomenal documentary. It's really well done. One of the cast members who's like now all grown up, like he, he goes back. Because it, it, really, it was a real turning point in his life because he was like, this is my dream to be in this Sondheim, and I'm in it and the reviews are bad. It closes shortly after. So. But Sondheim has a great quote about it where he says, people would either rather me be a successful hack you know, who does stuff that's up the middle and, you know, but I make a lot of money at it. Or an artist who doesn't make any money. He's like, I couldn't be both. Mm. And um, and I remember hearing that and I was like, oh. And I, and I remember thinking like, yeah, I want to be both. I want to make good shit that does well. I want to be Moonlight. I want to be Get Out. You know what I'm saying? Even though Moonlight technically in terms of like money... It didn't, I don't know if it made it a ton, but the Oscar kind of balances that out <laughs> when for best picture. So you have that, but like get out is like ideal. Like, you know, um, you know, Atlanta is ideal. Like, it's like this thing that is special and unique and specific and people embrace it. And I think that's kind of also my Thanksgiving episode. That's kind of how that feels. Mm-hmm. Like I got to be really vulnerable and tell some tell a story that is not popular or commercial by any means. And then for it to hit, like that to me is, I want more of that. I want more opportunities. And some stuff is going to miss, you know, that's, although I don't like to live in that space, but uh, <laughs> I can't even like, you know, shake it off. But have you missed yet? Not that I know of. There may be, you know, we'll see. We'll see what comes, you, know, keep you me posted. know, yeah, exactly. <laughs> But I think the thing for me is as long as the product is solid, you do have to be in a space of let the world do what it does. To me, something doing gangbusters at the box office doesn't necessarily make it a success. To me, the Dear White People movie was a success because we freaking made that thing. Mm. And to me, being on the red carpet for the the premiere of the Netflix series tells me that we did something right. So for me, success sometimes comes. And then the funny thing about Mary we Roll Along, to finish that anecdote, Mm. 20 years later, they did like sort of a re- revival of it, of the you know, as, as the original cast members all came together, all grown up, whatever. And it was like sold out and everybody loved it because it sort of had a different meaning and people really loved it or whatever. So there was something in the DNA of it that worked, but it, at the time it just kind of didn't quite hit. So for me, as long as what you're making is honest and real and from a sacred place, it's going to hit somebody. It's going to touch someone. It's sort of the Rocky Horror Picture Show of it all. It's the you know you know to the showgirls of it it's like if there's something in it that that touches a nerve or or does something it you know no it may hit years later it may be something that you couldn't have expected um so that's my thing that's that's what i deem success making something that i can watch and find entertaining now i'm cool and hopefully other people find it entertaining too
0: can you uh uh, reiterate the advice Gina gave you.
2: Be great. Always be great. Two words. It's like okay. But that's the thing. It's like and I think when I, she first gave it to me, I was like, "What the hell?" Well, like when I heard it yesterday, I was like, "What?" <clears throat> that's what I felt when I first she first said it. What do you mean, be great? What does like, that mean? The fuck. But um, it's not that easy, but, right? But then I was like, maybe it is. It, it sunk in. Over the years, um, but and I always remembered it. I held on to it, and I and I and I have a better understanding of it of it and what she means. And I find myself saying it to people now. <laughs> be great, like be great.
0: Do you think you're great?
2: I think I'm working toward it every day. I think I'm, I'm pretty good, but I'm always trying to be great. I want to be the Jordan of television writers. You know, I love that. It's like I always want to be working and striving and shooting and fighting and clawing and to be the best that ever did it. You know, I want to leave a legacy. I don't only
0: love the idea of you being the Jordan of television writers, which is a great concept in my head, but I love that you're willing to say that. Mm -hmm. Maybe that is what I meant by the outlier. Cause you know people here, you know you know what it's like. Yeah. You, you've gone to the meetings. I've been. I've. Been, oh. you hear the people. Yeah. You you, just, you know, you go to a dinner and it's like Jesus Christ. Oh no. P- people people talk about <laughs> themselves in a way that is so unbelievably serious that I don't want to take them serious.
2: Oh yeah. Yeah.
0: And it doesn't feel like confidence. You have a different aura. It's a different sort of confidence.
2: Thank you. Yeah, I don't know what I'm it is. That. I, I appreciate that. Yeah, that's I try. I don't try not to take myself too seriously. Although I'm not like this self deprecating person. I don't do that. I just am very aware of my purpose and trying to fulfill it always. It's interesting because sometimes one day, uh, I know in an interview Oprah did might have been with Larry King possibly, and he asked her what was her greatest fear. And she said, not reaching my fullest potential. I I, I, understand that. Like, I just want to do everything I was put on this planet to do. And the time that I was put on this planet to do it in. And I feel like that's a lot of things. And I'm like, always... You know, so funny because my girlfriend makes fun of me because I wake up and I'm like, ready. I'm like, let's go, let's go. She's like, wait, hold on, breathe. Let's let's slowly come into the day. But I'm just like, I'm just like ready to fucking go. Like, what are we doing? Like, and not in a way of like, let's go take a hike. I'm like going like, okay, so let me talk to the manager. Where are we at with this? Where are we at with this deal? Uh, What's going on with this thing? You know, checking in with, you know, a writer. So you're going to give me a script this Friday? Okay, cool. I'll read it this weekend. Like, I'm just, I'm just like, it's, it's also two people say, what do you do for fun? What are your hobbies? I'm like, for fun, like this is the most, this job, I, it's, I literally feel like, you know, with the, like the Jordans, like the Kobe did, like for fun. I play basketball. That's what I do. <laughs> like, that's what I do. Life is work. Yeah. Work, work, is, work life. is life. Come on. It's like, and I don't think of that in a bad way. Because when I vacation, I vacation. When I go away, I'm chilling. I'm I'm like getting massages. I'm vibing. But, during the rest of the year, the months, I'm like, I got, I got shit to do, you know. I'm trying to get to a place where people respect my conglomerate in a real way. Um, and once I get there, then it's like, okay, now let me try to bring all these motherfuckers up in here with me. Like, okay, that script, that movie, I love that idea. Are you down? Are you into it? Okay, cool. Let's get like, let get the deal made. Let's get it closed. Let's, let's 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 talk about production. Let's get into casting. Let's let's get it popping. Let's get going. Because that's the thing to me. It's like empires don't build up. They build out. You know? So it's like you think about Oprah. She making money off Rachel Ray, Dave Berkus, you know? You know? Dr. Phil, Ayanla. You know what I'm saying? It's like that's where most of her checks come from.
0: <laughs> I'm smiling because I'm happy here.
2: <laughs> so I'm just I'm saying. I'm not laughing at you. No. I'm like, I'm just saying like, that's my blueprint. You know, it's like, yeah, she started with the seed. Like, okay, here's my thing. Okay, now who can I? Who can I help? Let's 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 okay. Now you get a show. You get a show. You get a show. You get a show. They all under Harpo Productions, you know. So while that person's living their dream, they cut her a check too. You mm. know, it's like that's that's the best of both worlds.
0: What could stop you?
2: <laughs> Not a damn thing.
0: It's exactly the answer I wanted to hear. Lena, <laughs> thank you so much for coming on.
2: Thanks so much for this lovely conversation, man. It was good. This has been great. Uh yeah. so long. So long.
0: our show i want to give a special thanks this week to lena waith if you'd like to learn more about her you can visit our site at talkeasypod.com. also on the site you'll find a back catalog of every episode that we have done over the past three years uh, some recent favorites of mine from 2019 include talks with werner herzog wyatt Sanak kenneth branagh Britt marling jackie weaver pam greer jeff garland Ron Perlman, Michael Kelly, Raphael bob Waxburg. Did I just name almost every episode that we've done this year? Yeah, I did. I did just do that. Because every episode has been pretty good. I gotta say, pretty good job. Um, Minhal Bay, she came on the show. Dulé Hill. Shit, now I feel like if I'm missing one person, they're gonna feel slighted. Chaz Ebert, Alex Ross Perry, Vincent D'Onofrio, Bill Pullman, Sean Kingston, Tyresha Poe, and Mary Holland. God, I'm so sorry, Mary. It took me so long to find this. Um, anyway, uh, oh wait, and there's Matt Walsh and Keith David. Okay. You know what? I'm sorry. Matt Walsh, Keith David, you guys are wonderful. Um, (laughs) I'm sorry. I am in a shockingly good mood today. So um, on that, if you like the show, uh, please consider sharing it on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook at TalkEasyPod. Do people still use Facebook? My mom still uses Facebook. I don't know if that's a good sign. Um, anyway, we will have new episodes starting August 25th. Uh, but in the intervening weeks, we will continue releasing some of my favorite conversations over the past few years. So uh, stay tuned for that. As always, the show is executive produced by David Chen, graphics by Ian Jones, illustrations by Krishna Shenoy, our social media is by Ghani Zur, our associate producer is Caroline Ribick, and uh, our producer is the one and only Neil Innes. I'm Sam Fragoso. Thank you for listening to Talk Easy. I will see you back here next Sunday uh, with one of my favorite conversations that we have had on this show. Until then... Hope you have a good week. So long, everyone.
1: The tradition of breaking tradition continues with the return of the unconventional awards from T-Mobile for Business at Mobile World Congress. This is an event that celebrates innovators whose bold actions took their industries to new places. If that sounds like you, and you're a T-Mobile for Business customer, enter today. If you win, you'll be publicly honored amongst some of the most influential leaders in industry. And me, I'll be there too. Enter now at T-Mobile.com unconventional unconventionalawards. See you there.